Amen. Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Friends, I boast not in Stephen Nixon tonight, but I boast in the one who saved me. I boast in the one who redeemed me. I boast in the one who lifted me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon that rock. I boast in the one who showed me much grace. For you know, friends, without the grace of God in my life, I would probably be in a lost sinner's hell. Thank God. Thank God for his grace in a life. You know, our second reading is found in Romans 5 and 8. Or sorry, no, we'll turn to Romans 5, chapter, or verse 6. Reading from 6 to 10. Romans 5, verse 6 through to 10. And it says, When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Verse 10 says, and I'm going to paraphrase this, I'm going to put this in my own words. For if when I was an enemy, I was reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, I shall be saved. I shall be saved by his life. You know the first two lines of that verse says, for if when we, when I was an enemy, you know, friends, at one time I was an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. But now I am a friend of God. Now I am a child of God. You know, a famous Christian writer once said this. He said, anyone can devise a plan by which people may go to heaven. But only God can devise a plan whereby sinners who are his enemies can go to heaven. Did you get that tonight? Let me read it again. Anyone can devise a plan by which people may go to heaven, but only God can devise a plan whereby sinners who are his enemies can go to heaven. Friends, it's not just an amazing thought tonight. That while you and I were sinners, that while you and I were the enemies of God, sinners in need of a saviour, God was devising a plan so that we could be reconciled with him and get to go to heaven. Friends, what mercy, what love, what grace. Friends, I'll tell you tonight, I didn't deserve his mercy. I didn't deserve his love. I didn't deserve his forgiveness. Friends, I deserve nothing from God but his wrath. 
For you see, 25 years ago, no, sorry, 30 years ago, I was his enemy. I was his enemy. And friends, I've said it many times, Back then, I had no time for God. I had no thought of God. I had no care for God. I had no love for God. God didn't come into the equation, any equation in my life. For me, it was all about living in the here and now. No thought of eternal things. No thought of heaven. No thought of hell. And certainly no thought of God. It was all about me and what I could get out of this life. It was all about me enjoying the pleasures of this life, whether sinful or not. You know, I was born in 1963. In a wee street in East Belfast called Douglas Street, facing Eddie Spencer's chippy, it's away now. But from what I remember back then, things were hard. There wasn't much money about. Everybody in the street, in fact, most people in the area, they were all struggling to make ends meet. And friends, they were truthful. God, church, didn't play a major role in my house. It didn't play a major role in any of our lives. We went to Paisley's church on a Sunday afternoon on the Ravenhill Road. I remember the wee minibus used to come three o'clock in the afternoon. And we'd all pile into a minibus. I was mostly Nixon's piling in. <laughs> but we all, we all piled into a minibus and there took us round to the wee hall in the bottom of Ravenhill Road. You know, I think the mom and dad were glad to see us go because they could get their heads short. They could get a bit of peace. But friends, absolute, other than that, there was absolutely no other involvement, no other activity about church or God and my home. The troubles broke out in 1969. A lot of you won't remember this, but some of you will. But where we live, things would have been quite hard, quite difficult, quite bad around the area where we live. We used to live not too far from an interface. So there would have been quite a lot of trouble. In 1970, my father was shot by the IRA in the back. He didn't die, but it was quite serious. And it wasn't long after that that we moved up to Beaver Park Estate. Probably just to get away from the trouble, away from the intensity of it all. But you know, I think that had a major effect on me. I remember driving up the Ravenhill Road that night my dad was shot and I remember my mum sitting in the front seat squealing and crying her eyes out and I remember her trying to jump out of the car and we were all in the back of the road. I was only seven or eight at the time. You know, but I think all that shaped my thinking. It shaped my thinking and my way of life, probably for the next 20 years. Everything was about them and us. Timothy touched a bit on it this morning. A hatred and a bitterness grew in this heart. 
We moved to Beaver and when I was 15 I helped form the flute band in Beaver in the estate and my life revolved around that. In the summer it was the band and band parades, in the winter it was football, I was playing football, I was going to football matches, going to see the Blues, going over to Ibrox to see Rangers. I was a Linfield hooligan, <laughs> so I was. We used to meet on a Saturday afternoon, we had a met in Belfast City Centre, maybe a couple of hundred of us, and then we'd done the hoolie. Do you remember the hoolies? We'd done what you call a hoolie, and we'd all just run through the town, pulling things over and breaking windows and everything. And then you'd have done that the whole way up through Sandy Row and then up into Windsor Park. That's what we, a hooligan. I was a hooligan to my shame. But for some reason I was attracted to trouble. I was attracted to large crowds, especially when they started to riot and started to fight. I was just attracted to those things. And along with that, you had to drink and you had the alcohol. Which I'd done from a very early age, every Friday and Saturday night. So friends, it was a lethal cocktail burning inside me. And only God knows where this was going to take me. Friend, hear me very clearly tonight. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than what you want to pay. Friends, I'm a living experience of that tonight. There's a few men who are living experiences of that tonight. It certainly took me further than I wanted to go. It kept me longer than I thought it would. And it certainly paid far more than I thought I would have to pay. But you know, ultimately, friends, the Bible says in James 1 and 15, Sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Friends, I'll tell you tonight, see that devil? He's paid terrible, he pays terrible wages. He pays terrible wages. Forget about your minimum wage. That devil pays a death wage. Mm-hmm. Hear me tonight? That devil pays a death wage. You know, there may have been a lot of pleasures. There may have been a lot of enjoyments and sin. But friends, hear me very clearly tonight. If the sin problem is not dealt with, then it'll bring forth death and eternal separation from God. Truthfully, I love my sin. I love my sin. Back then, which was over 30 years ago, I didn't think it was bad sin. In fact, I didn't even think it was sin at all. Sure, I was only doing what everybody else was doing. Drinking, partying, nightclubbing, riding, fighting. That's what everybody else done. You know, when I left school, I left school when I was 15. Didn't have an exam to my name. I went to Craigie Tech or Castlewright College now. I left that early. I got a job in Beaver Park Hospital, machine operator. I worked there for four or five years. And then I got a job in the DOE laying flags, tarmacking, driving the gritter. Just things like that, you know. 
In my late teens and early 20s, my life consisted of working all week, training two nights a week for the football, playing a match on a Saturday, and going out for a drink on a Friday night and a Saturday, which sometimes went into a Sunday. Some people would have said I was a weekend alcoholic. And when the football wasn't on, you were either marching with a band or out with the orange. I joined the Orange Order. And I have to apologise to you tonight, for it was me that got you into the Orange Order. <laughs> you big 778, Clifton Street, probably the modest lodge in Belfast you could ever get. <laughs> so I'm sorry for that. <laughs> but that's what we've done. That's what we've done. And as I said, friends, a lot of it revolved around drink. Didn't, I didn't take drugs. I think I maybe smoked some joints or something like that. But a lot of it revolved around drink. And you know what to say? When the drink's in, the wit's out. And for me, friends, when my wit was out, I was nuts. I was nuts. I, I'd have done anything. I was afraid of nothing. I'm only just telling you my experience. I wasn't bad. I wouldn't have robbed old women. I wouldn't have broke into houses or anything like that. Wouldn't ever have done it. But I was just nuts, you know. <laughs> I was just nuts, you know. I'm not going to go into any gory details tonight. I don't think it's profitable. But thank God the Lord has erased a lot of it from my mind. Thank God the Lord has forgiven me. Because you know something, this world wouldn't forgive me. Mm -hmm. They would never forgive me for some of the things that I've done. Mm -hmm. See, so I used to play football for Beaver Amateurs. Played a pretty good standard. I used to organise the fundraising. So this time I organised a disco. Do you remember the discos? Do you remember discos? But I organised the Disco and Cook Rugby Club, which, is over, which was over at Forestside beside the Drumkeen Hotel, which is not there, which is beside Supermac, which is not there now. <laughs> Does anybody remember that? Some of you would remember that. <laughs> Cook Rugby Club over beside the Drumkeen. But I organised a disco for a fundraising event and went there. And Patricia was there. And her hair was sitting out about here. <laughs> I'm not telling you a word of a lie. Her hair was sitting out about here. So that attracted me to it. Right? I've got the pictures to prove it. Seriously. Mine was sitting up like that at one time. Mine was sitting up like that. Where has all the hair gone? Where's it going? Here today and... Know her tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, I went over to Patricia. I was up for a dance. Patricia wasn't saved then. Got a beer mat and wrote her phone number on, a, on the beer mat and stuck it in my pocket. Forgot all about it, as you do, during the week. <laughs> Hoped in my coat and there was a beer mat, phone number on it. <laughs> Rung her up. Would you like to go out? Maybe down to Bangor? Down to Bangor to, to the Windsor Club or something, you know, Windsor Hotel. Yep, 
That was all right. So I started dating Patricia. But she told me, I'm not a Christian, but my daddy's a pastor. And I went, what? <laughs> oh? Yeah. Our daddy's a pastor of the church in Beaver. Beaver Fellowship. Met in the wee wooden hut in the community centre. I said, oh, right. <laughs> I'm not with her. <laughs> That's the truth. But Patricia went every Sunday night. I would have drove into a car park, sat in the car park. Meeting was over. I didn't go in. Sat in the car, way down to Bangor again. So I did. But she would have said, come on. And I, no, 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 no. I had no interest. I'm happy. I was happy the way I was living my life. Doing the things I was doing. Taking my drink, whatever. But eventually, I gave in and I says, yeah. I'll go. <coughs> Friends, can I tell you, the Lord works in mysterious ways. He works in mysterious ways. His ways are not our ways and his plans are not our plans. So I went to church that first Sunday night. Now, I, I've only been to, before that I went to church with maybe Churchy Ireland or Presbyterian and maybe the funeral or a, Wedding or baptism, there was two hymns. You sat down and some old, old boy at the front spoke something. And you just went out the same way you came in. And it was just dead. It was dead. There was no life about it. But I went into the wee hut, the community centre that Sunday night. And friends, I tell you, I've never experienced anything like it. I thought I was nuts. They were nuts. <laughs> I'm telling you. I, seriously. I thought that they were nuts. They were shouting. They were praising God. They were lifting their hands. They were shouting hallelujah. Tambourines going. They were dancing. Hear me, what's going on here? <laughs> what? Well, I didn't hear me. Graham's home's just up in Purdysburg there. But, friends, I'm going to tell you something. They may be funny. But they had a joy. They had a peace. They had a happiness that I knew that I didn't have. They had something that I didn't have. And you know, from that first night, I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit started working on me. Friends, it's called conviction. It's called conviction. Or as someone once said, the hound from heaven was hunting me down. And oh, that the hound from heaven would hunt more people down with conviction. Well, for months, four or five months, conviction came hunting me. I was going to the church every Sunday night, but I was still doing the things I was doing. Out drinking, walking with the oins, the whole lot. But you know, there wasn't the same enjoyment in it. There wasn't the same kick from it. There wasn't the same buzz from it. There was something. There was a... There was a void, if can I put it like that. There was an emptiness I knew that was in my heart. Something was niggling 
away up me. Not my mind, no, but in my heart. For friends, hear me tonight. That's the only thing God's interested in. He's not interested in what's between our two ears, but he's interested in our hearts. So is that not what he says in Proverbs 23? My son, my son, give me thine heart. Give me thine heart. Friends, he was hunting me. The Spirit of God was hunting me. And I'll give you one example of the conviction of God in my life. It was the last Saturday in June. White Rock Day. Big Orange Parade up top of the shankle. White Rock Parade. The Niangam back 1989. So there was a lot of tension about, a lot of trouble. And there was about 15 of us went up. And I remember standing in a bar, the Mountain View Arms, just near Workman Avenue there, top of Shankle, Woodville. And I had two bottles of harp in my hand, two paint bottles of beer in my hand. And I was kicking off outside. I think even that day, some young loyalists threw a hand grenade and it blew up on them. Because they stopped them to try to get down Workman Avenue. So they were attacking the police and the army. We were in the bar. And I remember standing with these two pint bottles of heart. And something came over me and just said, you need to get out of here. I threw the drink down. Said to me, mate, stand him away. I, I have to go. I, I, I can't. I can't bear this. I can't be here. And that was so unusual for me. And I walked out of that bar about five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. I walked down the Shankle Road, crying my eyes out, 25 years of age, not knowing what I was crying for. I hadn't a clue. Just weeping and crying my eyes out. Friends, God was dealing with my heart. God was dealing with my heart. You know, Timothy talked this morning about it's just a wee story. <laughs> we were in the orange. And the wooden ladders walked down the Springfield Road. And he said this morning about Lincoln Arms. Well, I was one of the ones he linked arms with. <laughs> so the peelers wooden ladders go up the Springfield Road. <laughs> so we all said, we all linked arms. Stand your ground. So we all stood there. Next month, the peelers come running, the police, the army come running at us with battens and the shields. And then we shit, stand your ground. Me and Timothy and some other idiot. <laughs> we stood there, and I looked around, everybody was away. <laughs> Isn't that right? That's yeah, right. <laughs> so we were away. <laughs> but that's stupid things you've done. That's stupid things you've done. But thank God for the conviction of his Holy Spirit. You know, thank God. You know, that struggle in my heart came to an end on the 17th September 1989. Somebody had invited a, a preacher over from England. Couldn't tell you what he preached on. Couldn't even tell you the man's name. But he preached the gospel message. And he made an appeal. And I was the first one to put my hand up. And Patricia and myself both went to the front. 
and we bowed our knees. We repented of our sins and we asked the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives. You know, friends, for me, it was like a bag of coal being lifted off my back. If anybody knows what that feels like, it was like a bag of coal being lifted off my back. You know, I started to see things in a different way, and this might sound stupid. You know, I never noticed trees before, but you know, I started to notice trees. I started to look at trees, and obviously with beaver and the forest, it blew me away. It might sound silly, but that's the effect that it had on me. I, I'd never thought of these things before. But I noticed things that I had never ever noticed before. My thoughts began to change. My words began to change. My attitude began to change. Just everything seemed like brand new. It was like being born all over again. But then didn't Jesus say in John 3 and 3, except the man be born again, he cannot enter, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Friends, hear me tonight. Hear me very clearly tonight. Going to church is not going to save you. Being religious and paying into your church ain't going to save you. Doing good and being good ain't going to save you. No, friends, but Jesus said, not me, not the preacher. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Did he not say that to Nicodemus? He said it to Nicodemus. Who was Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He knew the scriptures. He knew the word inside out. He was an old man, but he knew it all. But he came to Christ by night. And Christ said to him, Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said, but Lord, how can I, an old man, enter into my mother's womb the second time? But Christ said, unless you be born of water, unless you be born of blood, you must be born again. Friends, it's putting off the old and putting on the new. That's what it's all about. And that's what I've done. I put away the old life and I put on a new life. You know, one of the first things that I done was I told my mates in the football team, I got saved, they laughed at me. They said, Stephen, you'll be back in the elbow rooms next Friday. Friends, that's nearly 32 years ago. Amen. That's the truth. That's nearly 32 years ago. Do you know what they used to do? Seeing the sorry before the master changing rooms, they used to sing bringing in the sheaves to me. And they all laughed and made a joke. I laugh with them. I just laugh with them. But that's what, but you know something? A lot of those guys are still doing the same thing today that they were doing 32 years ago. Friends, it's the goodness of God. I thank God for the goodness of God in my life. Has it been easy? No. Has it all been a bed of roses? Certainly not. But you know something, friends? I wouldn't change it for anything. I wouldn't change it for anything. As the song says... It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ. You know, he never said it was going to be a walk in the park. Sure he didn't. He never said that. For you see, friends, it rains on the just and on the unjust. But the wonderful thing about my Savior is this.
That all through the storms, all through the trials, all through the struggles, all through the horrible things that come into our lives, he has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And friends, I've proved that. I've proved that over and over in my life. You know, as most of you know, just over three years ago, I was diagnosed with a mass cancerous tumour. And very diseased bowels at the bottom. The tumour was at the bottom of my bowel. I was told the tumour had been growing for 12 years, slow-growing tumour. Something in which I knew absolutely nothing about because I didn't feel any pain. I knew nothing about it. I had no pain, no discomfort, nothing. Until the 20th of January 2018. I left church here on a Sunday morning and I just began to feel a wee bit unwell. A lot of pain around my stomach. The pain began to get worse and worse and and over the next few days, it became totally unbearable. By the Wednesday, or the Tuesday night, 12 o'clock, me and Patricia went. I left Sammy at Patsy's house after speaking with the out of hours doctor. And we left their house and went straight to the A&E of the Ulster Hospital. And after many hours of sitting and getting x-rays done, getting blood tests done, getting a CT scan done, and many other things done, I was told that, I think about 9 o'clock the next morning, that I had a mass cancerous tumour, and that my bowels were very, very badly dizzy. They were covered in polyps. I was told that I needed an operation right away to remove my bowel. They told me what they were going to do, uh, remove my bowel, put a, a bag on, they were going to do a biopsy on the tumour and then I would begin weeks of chemo or radiotherapy. The surgeon told me the long-term prognosis was not looking good. And by that I mean I had only, maybe only months to live. That's what they told me. Friends, listen, I needed a miracle. I needed a miracle. The doctor's report was not good. But friends, I want to tell you tonight, I was looking to the waymaker. I was looking to the miracle worker. I was looking to the promise keeper. You know, friends, I was going to believe for a good report from the Lord. Why? Why was I looking to God? Because, friends, he specializes. He specializes in miracles. He specializes in brand prayer tonight in impossible circumstances and situations. Friends, let me tell you what happened. God's people, you people, and other people, friends and family all over the world, began to pray. They began to bombard the throne of grace. You know, I went to theater that afternoon at half three, the operation lasted just over four hours. But to cut a long story short, when they opened me up, they couldn't find the tumour. The tumour had gone. The bowels that they said was covered in hundreds of polyps was totally healthy. Not one polyp on my bowel. Friends, God 
had heard from heaven. And he stretched forth his hand and he touched me and he healed me. Right from the top of my head, right to the soles of my feet. It was all gone. All completely gone. And that, after being told the tumour had been there for 12 years, after being told the tumour was six, six centimetres big, they measured it on the CT scan, they saw it on the scan, and also they felt the tumour. That's what the consultant told me. She felt the tumour, saw the tumour. Friends, it was gone. It was absolutely gone. My saviour had removed it. You know, Patricia and myself, we saw a picture of my bowel and it had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dark patches all over it. We saw it for our own eyes. It's all gone. It was all gone. The surgeon who operated on me, she testified in this very pulpit three months, two or three months later. She opened me up. She was to do the biopsy on the tumour. And she told me she lifted my bowel out and sat it on the table beside me. She said, Stephen, it was a, a completely healthy bowel. Not one polyp. Not one polyp on it. I said to Louise, Louise, what happened? What happened in theatre? She said, Stephen, it was chaos. It was confusion. I knew what had happened because... This consultant was a believer. She told me before I went in for the operation. She was a believer. She says, I knew what had happened. I knew the Lord had touched you. The Lord had healed you. But you know, the doctors and nurses were totally mystified. And they're still mystified to this day as to what had happened. Friends, I'll tell you what happened. God happened. That's what happened. That's what God happened. You know, I went into theater a very, very sick man. But I came out completely and totally healed by the power of God. He worked a miracle in my life. And friends, tonight I praise God for that. I praise God for that. You know, can I tell you, see, whenever I lay in that recovery room, I felt the presence of the Lord like I've never, ever, ever felt it before. I knew nothing of what had happened. But they say, the porters tell me, they told Patricia this, they say that I began to praise God. That I began to praise God. And what I began to say was what we sung earlier on tonight. I sought the Lord and you heard me. I sought you, Lord, and you delivered me. Folks, it's real tonight. Friends, believe me. Believe me, believe me, it's real tonight. You know, there's nothing like the presence of God. There's nothing like that touch. Friends, he is, he is a faithful God. You know, as I come to a close tonight, I received a miracle in my body. And it was totally amazing. But friends, let me tell you of a greater miracle. A greater miracle. It's the miracle of the new birth. It's when a soul passes from death unto life. Friends, that's the greatest miracle you could ever get. 
and unsaved in this room tonight, and you who are listening online tonight or watching online tonight, all you have to do to receive of this miracle is to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and ask him into your heart and ask him into your life. And friends, I can be sure, I can be sure that he will be faithful to answer and to hear that cry. You know, as I finish tonight, Jonathan, Naomi, would you come? They're going to minister in song tonight. But can I, can I just ask you, allow the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to move. Allow him to move in your heart. In your life. Forget about who's sitting beside you, who's in front of you, who's behind you. Forget about all that. But friends, allow the Holy Spirit of God to minister into your heart and into your life. You know, the Bible says today, today, if you hear his voice, who's his voice? The Lord Jesus Christ. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Friends, it's time. It's time. It's time to give your life to him. You know, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. It's not promised to any of us. The Lord is about to return. We heard it this morning. The signs are all around us. That trumpet is about to blow. And it's only going to be those that have been washed in his precious blood are going to go to heaven. Friends, that's the reality tonight. That's the reality tonight. You know, the question... The question will be asked on that day, that great and final day, what did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? What did you do with him? Did you accept him? Or did you reject him? Friend, you can't plead ignorance tonight because on the 25th of April 2021, you heard the good news of the gospel. Friends, how you answer that question will determine where you will spend eternity, either in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ or in hell with the devil. Friends, that's the reality. I'm only giving you it very straight. That's the reality. Friend, call upon him tonight. Call up. He will be faithful. He will be faithful to hear that cry. Amen.